the early 1900s. A guy by the name of Hal Roach Sr., who's kind of a, a mover and shaker in the brand new film industry. Uh, he was a director, he was a producer, had his own uh, 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 studio for a while. And Hal Roach Sr. coined the phrase, cut to the chase. And it was because in those early days, silent film era, it was common for movies to end with a big car chase, especially comedies, and that was his wheelhouse. Comedies seemed at that time always end with a big car chase or maybe even a, a horse and buggy chase, but that was always kind of the, the big buildup, and he would be on the set, and he would tell screenwriters, don't waste time with dialogue board, don't waste time with plot development, just cut to the chase which was his way of saying, get to the point everybody wants to see. Get to, the, get to the bottom line. Get to the best part. We still use that phrase today, right? Cut to the chase. Pretty much for the same reasons, right? Just give me the bottom line. And we all know cut to the chase people, don't we? Don't give me a whole lot of extra information. Don't overload me with details. Don't give me facts. Don't give me figures. Just... Just cut to the chase. By the way, never try to put Ikea furniture together with a cut to the chase kind of person. <laughs> you will end up with a lot of extra little pieces, little connectors, trust me. But this morning, we are beginning a short series in the book of Romans. And as soon as I say that, or as soon as you read that, you're probably thinking, how in the world are you going to have a short series in the book of Romans? It, it's too deep. There, there's too much there. It, it's just too good. Well, I'm going to cut to the chase. This is not going to be a verse-by-verse verse study. It's not even going to be a chapter-by-chapter chapter study. We're just going to take out some, some highlights, some things that I think are foundational to our, our Christian faith, and they all just happen to be in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is an amazing book. It has been referred to as the fifth gospel. It has been called the premier doctrine of Christian theology. It contains controversial teachings, basic truths, advanced concepts, and a ton of just really practical application. So what we want to do for the next couple of weeks is just highlight a few of those passages. And each week, we're going to try to cut to the chase and get to the heart of Romans. And I think what you're going to find is we're also going to get to the heart of the gospel. And we're also, I think, going to get to the heart of God. And we are actually, just to prove this isn't verse by verse or chapter by chapter, we are going to begin this study in the 13th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13 has a verse that sort of summarizes the entire book. And I am entitling this particular lesson, Forever in Debt. You know, when you think about debt, it doesn't really conjure up great feelings, does it? We think about debt, we usually think about finances. And nobody wants to be in debt. Doesn't give us a warm, fuzzy feeling. A guy was having lunch with a bunch of his friends, and as they were getting ready to break up and leave, he said, hey, I, I want you all to wish me luck. 
I've got an appointment at the bank this afternoon, and if all goes according to plan, by tonight I'm going to be debt-free. And they said, wow, congratulations, that's great. That's really exciting. He said, I know, I'm really excited too. So excited, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get my ski mask on. <laughs> but nobody wants to be in debt. That was pretty bad, right? It wasn't, this, it wasn't my worst, it wasn't my best. Nobody wants to be in debt is my point, right? We don't want to be in debt. And yet, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, is going to say there is a debt that we are all in. Our anchor text this morning is Romans chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Paul says this. Pay all your debts. except the debt of love for others. You can never finish paying that. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's law. For the commandments against adultery and murder, and stealing, and coveting, and any other commandment, are all summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to anyone, so love satisfies all of God's requirements. Notice verse 8 there, that first verse on the screen, doesn't say, pay all your debts except the debt of love to God, which would make sense, right? It doesn't say, accept your debt of love to Jesus. And again, that, that, would, that would sort of make sense. In fact, it doesn't even say, accept your debt of love to the people who love you. What Paul says is, pay all your debts, accept the debt of love for others. You can never pay that. Paul's quote is, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's law. Love God, love your neighbor. Who am I supposed to love? According to Paul, Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. According to Paul, I'm supposed to love me. I can do that. And I'm supposed to love everybody who's not me, which is a little more challenging. You know, usually when we hear that love your neighbor, we talk about neighbors Usually it's someone that's in some kind of proximity to us comes to mind. Maybe someone that, you know, geographically is close to us or in the same life stage or someone who, who looks kind of like us, thinks and acts kind of like us. Paul wants us to realize that we live in a very big neighborhood. And we live in an incredibly diverse neighborhood. In fact, he ends this section by really doubling down on how he starts it. Verse 8 says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's law. And then in the very next breath, verse 10, love satisfies all of God's requirements. You might be reading from a version that says, love is the fulfillment of the law. And I know that we're jumping in here to chapter 13, but let me just quickly remind you, or at least tell you, some of the things that Paul has already talked about in those first 12 chapters of the book of Romans. He talks a lot about Jesus. <laughs> he talks about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. He talks about the implications of that to each of us. He talks about unity. He talks about um, the fact that God has prepared a, a plan for us to have a relationship with him before the beginning of the earth. He talks a lot about God's amazing grace. And then after all of that, he cuts to the chase. 
Pay all your debts except the debt of love for others. You can never finish paying that. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's law. For the commandments against adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and, and any other commandment are all summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to anyone, so love satisfies all of God's requirements. How is that possible? How is it possible to love everyone who is not me the same way that I love me? How is it possible that by loving others, I can fulfill all the requirements of God's law? How is that even possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. And it is only possible through Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who makes the impossible possible. And Paul is confirming the fact that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He's confirming the fact that the laws that God gave us were never intended to be some set of rules to you know, make us feel guilty because we can't measure up. But they were to point everyone to the one who was the fulfillment of the law. To, to point people to the Messiah, to Jesus. We are called to love where we are, wherever that might be, we are called to love who we're with, whoever that might be. And once we experience God's love for us, that same love should, should pour out of us, right? And that can't just be some intellectual thing that we you know, agree to. It can't be something that we just, you know, we can quote the verse and, and we know the concept. It's got to be more than that. Little boy walked into his mother's bedroom late at night and he said, Mom, I'm scared. I had a bad dream. And she said, Oh, well, you're okay. Just, it was just a bad dream. Go on back to bed. He goes, I don't want to go back to my room by myself. And she said, Oh, you won't be by yourself. Jesus will be with you. Little boy said, Mom, tonight I'm going to need somebody with skin on him. <laughs> you know, we need to have skin in the game, right? This isn't just some feeling that we have, something that we intellectually understand. This is what we do. This is, this is who we are. This is who God has called us to be. People who, who love where we are, wherever we are. People who love who we're with, no matter who we might be with. Remember, it was Jesus himself who said, uh, when he was asked, okay, what's the greatest commandment? Because we're all hung up on the, the first and the greatest. Jesus had an answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus himself said, all the law, everything that you know, everything you've studied, everything that the prophets pointed to, it all comes back to this. Love God, love people. So, how are we going to cover this debt that Paul says is impossible to pay back? How are we going to address this debt that we have? What's going to motivate us to love where we are and to love who we're with? Let me give you three reasons this morning why we are called to love where we are and, and who we're with. And the first is this. 
We owe it to God. Romans chapter 13, Paul's already talked about the fact that the law is fulfilled in Jesus. That we're made right because of our faith in Jesus. But look again at verse 8. Let me go back to our uh, anchor text here. Pay all your debts. Accept the debt of love for others. You can never finish paying that. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of God's law. Paul says, we owe a debt of love. What he is not saying is, unless you do certain things, God won't love you. Because a lot of people seem to have the impression, well, if I don't get it exactly right, God is never going to love someone like me. So I've got to get it right. But if that were even remotely possible, if it were remotely possible of even one person to just on their own ability to get it right, that would mean that the cross was a terrible mistake. I mean, it would have been brutal for God to send His Son to go through something like the cross if there was a way for us to have a relationship with God, if there was a way for us to be in heaven without Jesus. But God knew that wasn't possible. We don't owe God something because He's angry. We don't owe God something because He's been unfair or because He's overcharged us. We owe God something because He has given us everything. Everything we need, everything we desire, God has provided it. And just in case that old, old story has become an old, old story to you, I ask you this morning, just, just go back to the foot of the cross for a moment. Stand by Mary, the mother of Jesus. Watch with her as her son is nailed to a cross and lifted up. Watch the blood drip out of Jesus' hands. Watch the blood run down and drip off of his toes into that Judean dust. And know that with every drop of that blood, he is paying for my sins. Amen. And I want you to think about the very last thing that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. Amen. Now that's three words in English. That's one word in Greek. In Greek, the word is tetelestai. And there's actually three different meanings to the word tetelestai in Greek. It can mean it is finished. It can mean it is accomplished. And there's one other meaning that the word tetelestai also has. And in the first century in Greek, you would have seen that on the bottom of an invoice or a bill of sale that had been satisfied. A merchant that was selling something, you know, goods or services, when he received payment, he would stamp on the bottom of the invoice, tetelestai, which meant paid in full. So Jesus hangs from the cross. And he sees his mother. And he sees John, the apostle that he loves. And he sees the Roman soldiers. And he sees the crowd. And he sees us. He sees you. And he says, to tell us die. Paid in full.
What's been paid in full? My debt. My sin debt has been paid in full. And our response to that is to show allegiance to Him, to live for Him, to point people to Jesus, to love others. Years later, it was that same Apostle John who would write, we love because He first loved us. And you better believe John knew what he was talking about. When you realize the depth of God's love for you, we can't be shallow in our love for others. We love because we owe it to God. Here's a second reason. We owe it to people. People should matter to us because people matter to God. And when you realize the gift that you have been given, this wonderful, unbelievable gift that you've been given, when you realize it's available for everyone, we have a responsibility to share that with everyone. We owe it to them. And by the way, you don't do that by joining the God Squad, okay? You don't do that by going around and finding all your non-Christian friends and pointing out all their shortcomings, their moral failures, and you know, where they don't live up to Scripture, you know, all those things. You've heard me say this a lot of times. Don't expect people who don't know Jesus to act like Jesus. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What business is of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. As, as Christians, we are called to, to keep each other, hold each other to accountability. But not non-Christians. What we're called to do with non-Christians is to look for ways to show them the love of Jesus. Look for ways to, to introduce them to Jesus, to point people to Him, to model the love that He modeled. You know, we're called to lead people to Christ, not drive people to Christ. And Paul knows that when we love people with the love of Jesus, we have a much better opportunity of looking like Jesus, sounding like Jesus, and pointing people to Jesus. So we look for opportunities. Our friends, our family, our casual acquaintances. The best way to tell people that God's love is available for them is to show them God's love to them. Paul would write in Colossians chapter 1, so everywhere we go, we tell people about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. I work very hard at this as I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. There in Colossians, just like in Romans, Paul puts the emphasis squarely on Jesus. Everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. Why? Because Paul knew that eternity was close. It was hanging in the balance. And when Jesus is your focus, love is your vehicle, there is a mighty power at work. We love because we owe it to God. We owe it to people. And then finally, we owe it to the world. We owe it to the world to love them. Paul reminds us of this by cutting to the chase. 
He wants us to, to inspire us by reminding us just how serious this really is. Look at the very next thing in, in chapter 13, the very next verse that was, didn't have on the screen before, in verse 11. Another reason for right living is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for the coming of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So don't live in darkness. Get rid of your evil deeds. Shed them like dirty clothes. Clothe yourselves with the armor of right living as those who live in the light. All through the New Testament, you see this comparison between light and darkness. And it's a, it's a powerful metaphor. Because we look around in the world we're, we're in right now, and it seems like things are darkening before our very eyes. Right? It's like things just are getting darker. And yet, light penetrates darkness. And we all know that. And we all know that the, the smallest light can penetrate the deepest darkness. So Paul urges us, wake up. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't be distracted. The light of God will always drive out darkness. So we've got to love where we are, wherever we are. And we've got to love who we're with, whoever we might be with. And I know that it sounds great on a Sunday morning, but then we go to work, and we go to school, and we go into our lives, and we just sort of, you know, settle into our existence, and we kind of just stay in our lane. Listen. Your evangelism, your, your witness, will always sound like a sales pitch if your Jesus is just some guy in a book. What you tell people about Jesus, it's always just going to sound like a sales pitch unless he isn't really the Lord of your life. And if he is, people will know it. People will see it. And they'll hear it. Paul tells us, you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for the coming of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Paul is reminding us, time is short. You think you have lots of time. You don't. Newsflash. None of us are getting out of here alive. I don't know when I'm going to die. Neither do you. I don't know when Jesus is going to return. But I do know that one or both of those things are going to happen. Either he's coming or I'm going. And I'm not sure which is going to be first. But he's coming or I'm going. So we have to be ready. You know that old saying that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. It's certainly true. But before we get there, let me just remind you of what Paul reminds us of. You live in a really big neighborhood. Love your neighbor as yourself. You live in a very diverse neighborhood. So love your neighbor like you love yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus told a story about that, but you want to know who your neighbor is? 
It, it's the family that lives in the apartment beside you. It's the guy who checks you in at the, at the, at the uh, gym you know, three times a week. It's the barista who sells you coffee five times a week. <laughs> it's the person that you see every now and then. It's the person that you only see once. At Calvary, God so dramatically proved His love to us. To a, to a world that will never be able to pay Him back. But here's the great thing about God's love. Here's the great thing about God's grace. He doesn't ask us to pay it back. He asks us to pay it forward. He asks us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. He commands us to love where we are, wherever we are, to love who we're with, wherever we're with, whoever, whoever we're with, so that He gets the glory. So that our lives point people to Jesus. And that's Paul cutting to the chase. This morning we're going to sing a song of encouragement as a church family. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to meet us here down front. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.